I know some of you have to be thinking, like, how could you be that dumb? How could you walk into a, a car or a wall or fall into a planter? Uh, when I watch that video, I, I don't think that. Uh, when I watch a video like that, I'm not the kind of person who, you know, points a finger and laughs. And it's not because I'm, I'm a particularly good person, quote unquote. It's because I have stumbled and fallen in that very same way. Several years ago, I was going to a baseball game in downtown Phoenix to see the Diamondbacks play. And I was texting and I was walking and I was going like this and I walked right into a fire hydrant. I mean, if there was a camera there, I would have made uh, that reel of, 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 you know, stumbles, falls, gaffes. So often my wife will remind me of that if I'm walking and texting. She's like, fire hydrant, and I stop. And she's like, just kidding. Um, she, she tends to make fun of me and give me a hard time for it and never let me forget it. And I haven't forgotten it. And maybe for you, it, it's not that you have uh, walked into something while texting. Maybe it's that your head was in the clouds while you were driving and you missed your exit. Uh, several years ago, I missed an exit while I was driving in Northern Arizona. And it, it took me 15 miles to get to another exit where I could turn around and, and retrace my steps. And so whether it's a, a, a driving moment, a walking moment, w- when we have had a time like that where we stumbled, where we fell, it changes how we interact with other people who've stumbled and fallen. Let me put it this way. We don't mock those who fail where we do. And so whatever it is in life, if there's a place where we have stumbled and fallen, we have a level of humility and empathy for people who've stumbled and fallen in the same way. Today in the message, we're going to talk about some places that we can stumble and fall in our journey with Jesus. And I hope that the conversation will remind us that none of us have a place to look at somebody else and poke fun or mock or judge because all of us are people who either have stumbled or have the potential to stumble. As our friends mentioned earlier today in this service, we're in a series right now called What If Jesus Was Serious? We're working our way through the book of Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And in, in a place where I think many followers of Jesus or many people read the Bible and they go, there's no way Jesus could be serious when he said all those things. We believe he was. We believe that Jesus was painting an incredible picture in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 of who he's calling us to be and how he's calling us to live as his followers who are now a part of his kingdom. And we've seen so far in this series that Jesus has gotten incredibly clear with the identity of his people the influence of his people, the impact that his people could have. And last week, our friend Tim Jacobs was here. He did a a great job helping walk us through the shift Jesus is trying to lead people through as he moves from just the minimum of keeping the law in this old way and then this new way of wholehearted transformation and grace-based living. I'm so excited Tim was with us. He did a great job. He did get a difficult passage, but he did a great job with it. And we're just grateful for his friendship to us as a church and his leadership of churches like ours in the Evangelical Free Church in the Western United States. Today, we're going to move from chapter 5 of Matthew to chapter 6 of Matthew. And here's going to be the big idea that we're going to come back to again and again. That living as a kingdom person means being in the clouds and in the dirt. Living as a kingdom person means being in the clouds and in the dirt. Several years ago, I heard an entrepreneur and an author from New Jersey, Gary Vaynerchuk, talk about clouds and dirt. 
And in that message, he was talking uh, about the fact that as, as leaders, leaders should be people who look at the big picture and where things are headed, but also who get involved in the day to day. And I think that metaphor of clouds and dirt has so many more applications. As followers of Jesus, we should never lose sight of the ideal, the big picture of what God is leading everything towards. Yet we need to be in the midst of the dirt and the everyday of where things are now. As followers of Jesus, we need to have a vision for who God is making us to be and who he's calling us to be. And then we need to be honest with ourselves and God about where we are and what God wants to do in our life next. As followers of Jesus, we need to have a vision and an awareness of the holiness and the majesty and the grandeur and the wonder and the power and the holiness of God and how different he is from us. And yet we need to also remember that God took on human flesh and he came and made his dwelling among us and he's close to us and he loves us. Clouds and dirt. We're going to come back to that again and again today. And we're going to be in a text today. And I encourage you, if you have a Bible, to open it up, to turn it on. If you don't have either one of those, just put this passage into Google while you're watching and you'll see it. Matthew 6, 1 to 18. That is our text for today. If you're new to the Bible, Matthew is the 40th book in the Bible, 40 of 66. So about two thirds of the way through your Bible. Matthew was one of the closest followers of Jesus. And Matthew records the life and the teaching of Jesus in his biography or gospel. And in this passage, these 18 verses we're going to camp out in today, we're going to see three areas where we can stumble as kingdom people. Three areas where all of us, regardless if we've been following Jesus for a day or a decade or decades, where we have the vulnerability or the potential to stumble. And this is a warning then to help us to avoid those stumbles. Beginning in verse one, this is what we read. Matthew 6. Jesus says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound the trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. The first area where we can all stumble is that we can easily turn giving into something that glorifies us instead of God. Giving can easily become something in all of our lives where we get the glory as opposed to God. Throughout this passage, Jesus is reminding his audience just how easy it is for something good to become corrupted. In this passage, he's going to talk about giving to the poor, about prayer, and about fasting. And in each instance, he's going to show just how easy that corruption is. And in this first passage about, about giving, he talks about, about the hypocrites. And in the day of Jesus, a hypocrite was not what we think of it as today. It was one person who says something and does another. A hypocrite was a term for the person who acted on a stage. And you would play a character by putting a mask over your mouth, over your face to change your character. 
you eat this person on the stage and then you pull that mask off and be another person off the stage. And Jesus borrows that concept from that world and says, that's, that's what you do when you, when you do something for the approval of people and you corrupt it. You become a two-faced person. You become a duplicious person. Jesus says that that's how easy it is for this giving thing to become corrupted. Later on in another account of his life and teaching the book of Mark, Mark records a, a moment where Jesus is in a temple and people are coming to give offerings. And, and in that day, everybody carried money. I know in our day, less and less people are carrying physical money. We're just carrying cards. But in that day, they carried money and not just dollar bills, but coins. And they go into the, they go into the temple and they drop their metal coins in a metal container. And if you gave a lot, make a huge noise and it would draw attention. Well, people were going in and giving huge offerings, kind of you know, garnering attention to their gifts. Well, then a, a widow comes in and she drops in just a couple of very small coins, basically like pennies to other people. It would seem like nothing. And Jesus turns to his disciples and he said, who, who really gave the worthy offering? And they kind of are all thinking about the people who gave a lot. And Jesus says, no, it's, it's this woman because she didn't give out of her abundance. She gave out of her poverty and she gave everything she had. Jesus was able to see what was really going on in the hearts of the people who were giving. And it was a powerful lesson for us that from Jesus's perspective, intent matters. It is not just to Jesus about what we're doing. It's about why we're doing it. And Jesus sees into the heart of every single person and he sees their intent and he talks about the importance of why we're doing what we're doing to tell us that intent matters. And, and, and what intent does is intent reveals audience. In this first section of Matthew 6, Jesus is saying, hey, if you give so that other people will see that you give, that reveals that the audience for your gift is people. And you will get the reward that comes from that. You may get their praise. He goes, but if you are giving for a very different reason and you're giving and your audience is God, th then, then you don't give for people to see it. You give so God sees it. And you give not for the approval of people. You give for the pleasure and approval of God. See, our intent, our heart reveals the audience that we have. I love what Derwin Gray says about this. He says, if Jesus knowing your name is not enough, then the whole world knowing your name will never be enough. If you're giving or praying or fasting or whatever it is that you're doing out of an insecurity, out of a desire for people to give you approval, to know who you are, then the whole world giving you approval. The whole world knowing who you are is not going to satisfy that. And if you do it for an audience of one, then you can know that not only does God see it, but God knows who you are. And God is the one who bestows worthiness, approval, value, enough. And that's where true security lies. Again and again in the Sermon on the Mount, this section of the, of the scriptures, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus is asking a question that we stop asking in our lives. We, we start asking this question. If you're ever around small children, or if you can remember when you had small children, there was a question that little kids ask all the time, and it's the question, why? 
I'm not sure if it's two or three or four for the kids that you've been around. I know for me, it was at that three to four stage. I just asked why all the time. My kids did the same thing. Why, 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 why? It was just a loop all day long. And the reason why they were asking why is they were trying to understand the world. There was an innate curiosity within them. And that's how they began to understand things and learn about things. But the, the tragedy is, is, as the older we get, we stop asking why. And when we stop asking why, we stop growing, both in our knowledge of ourselves and our knowledge of God. If, if we don't ask why we're doing what we're doing, then we will never truly understand our intent. If we don't understand and ask why God is calling us to do something, we won't grow in our knowledge and understanding of him. And and it's only as we come to understand God more that we understand ourselves more. And as we come to understand ourselves more, we understand the God who made us more. These are connected and they grow as we remain curious. And as we continue to understand the big picture, the clouds of what God is up to, about what his agenda is, about who he is creating and recreating us to be, then it allows us to get back into the dirt of where we are and to see it more clearly. And so Jesus is saying, hey, don't get caught up and stumble in this act of giving where you begin to care more for the approval of people and you care for the approval of God. But he's not done. Jesus continues in verse five. He says, so whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, you know, those people who wear masks, because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street quarters to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, And pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them because your father knows the things you need before you ask them. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your your father will not forgive you your offenses. Second place we can stumble with this is we can easily turn prayer into something that builds our pride rather than something that humbles us. See, prayer as a part of our ongoing relationship with God, it should be cultivating humility in us, not building our sense of pride and ego. Jesus here in Matthew 6, 5 through 15 is unveiling his approach to prayer. And it's one that stands in stark contrast to what people in his day would have experienced. He said in his day, the people who prayed and were known for prayer were the religious leaders who he called hypocrites, who stood on street corners and, and prayed loudly, not because they needed to be louder for God to hear them, No, so other people would hear them and think them holy. 
This is why Jesus says, you know, you get your reward for that. Your reward is people think you're holy. But if you're praying to God, you're not praying for people. You're praying for God. And he tells a parable, very famously Jesus does, in Luke chapter 18. It's called the the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And Jesus tells a story about two people who are praying. And one of them is a Pharisee. He's a religious leader. And he he prays almost like his resume. These are all the things I've done for you, God. These are all the things I've I've done that are holy. And then he, he turns and looks at the man next to him and he says, And God, thank you that I am not like this tax collector. I mean, it's, it's the epitome of pride and arrogance. Jesus then says that the, the tax collector who's standing right there, he looks to heaven and he beats his breast and he says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's it. It's the whole prayer. Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, which prayer is the one that you think God heard that honored him? Was it the long, flowery resume, arrogant pride of the tax collector? Or was it the short, genuine, contrite prayer, the tax collector? It was the tax collector because he was praying in such a way that revealed humility as opposed to the Pharisee who was praying in a way that revealed his growing and burgeoning pride. And Jesus then gives a model for how his disciples are to pray. And over time, this prayer in the middle of Matthew 6 has become known as the Lord's Prayer. But truthfully, it's not the Lord's Prayer. He didn't pray it so he could pray it in the future. He prayed it and he gave it as something for us to pray. And so I think it's it's really less the Lord's Prayer and more the disciples' prayer. It's the prayer we're to be praying. And I could spend a whole series on just this one prayer, but I've got just some time today under one point. And I just want to hit some highlights for you that have been significant for me over the last couple weeks as I've been preparing this message. The first thing that I noticed in this text is that God wants to hear from us together. How does the prayer begin? It doesn't begin with my father. It begins with our father. And while Jesus is warning us to, to, to pray in silence and secret, if we're struggling with that public dynamic, the fact that the prayer begins with our father, I think indicates that God wants to hear from us together. That's why it was so special a couple weeks ago when we were over at Prescott Christian Church for our night of worship. It was so special to hear you guys praying out loud for your families, for our church, for our country. God wants to hear from us together. Next thing I noticed in the prayer is that, that, that God is beyond us and he's near us. The prayer begins with our Father. Father being a phrase of, of closeness, of relationship. He's near us. But then also, you know, Holy is your name. Your name is hallowed. What it means is that God is not like us. He is beyond us. He is holy. And some of us tend to relate to God so much of that kind of, you know, closeness. A few years ago, there was a popular shirt said, Jesus is my homeboy. Some of us get into that sense of he's really, really close to us and like us. And we need to remember that God is near us, but he is beyond us. Some of us, though, grew up in an environment where it was just that distance, that kind of, kind of far away, transcendent God. And we need to remember that God took on flesh and became one of us, and he wants to have a near, intimate relationship with us. It's not one or the other, it's both. Let's continue. The next thing I notice in the, in the prayer is that God is not trying to get us out of earth and into heaven. God is bringing heaven to earth. What does the prayer say? Your kingdom come. 
your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I know there are many of us after 2020 and all of its challenges, and we're like, Jesus, take me out of here. Jesus, come back. Jesus, I want to be with you. And he wants to be with us. But his agenda is not us escaping this world. His primary agenda is his kingdom coming on earth just as it is in heaven. And that's what we pray for and that's what we align ourselves to when we pray this prayer. Let's keep going. Jesus reminds us that God gives us what we need when we need it. The prayer next says, give us today our daily bread. The problem is, is that when I think I need something and when God, I think, thinks I need something are very different times. So often God seems late on my calendar when on his calendar, he's right on time. And, and, and this passage about daily bread is, is kind of like an homage or it harkens back to the Old Testament when the people went through the desert and they were sustained by daily bread from heaven, this bread that fell called manna. And, and there's this reminder here that we are to pray for daily renewal, daily provision, daily sustenance. There's a lot of us that love and would w- wish that we could relate to God like we do Costco. I go to Costco, I buy bread in bulk. What I don't need, I freeze it. I pull it out when I need it. That is not how God wants to relate to us. He doesn't want us depending on his provision. He wants us to depend on him as the provider of the provision. God gives us what we need when we need it. Keep going. God wants us to remember our need for forgiveness so we'll remember to forgive others. There's this very strong connection in this passage between us recognizing our need for and receiving God's experience, uh, God's forgiveness, and us giving forgiveness to other people who need it also. And this is why it's so important for us. I I know that we're not a a liturgical church, like a a Catholic or an Anglican or a Lutheran church where we practice confession every week. But I think we need to confess more often. So many of us, we, we remember time of confession when we first surrendered our life to Jesus or maybe during a moment of profound brokenness in our lives. But when we can't remember the last time we've confessed, what that tends to do is it, limits our recognition and awareness of our need for forgiveness. And I believe, and I think Jesus is teaching this, that we will only forgive others to the degree that we recognize our own forgiveness. And if we stop losing, we stop having, and we start losing our sense of our brokenness and our sinfulness and our need for forgiveness, then we will become stingy and withhold forgiveness from people in our lives who deserve it. Final thing I notice here is that God knows that none of us are ever beyond temptation and sin. The prayer ends with, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. See, the moment that we think we are no longer vulnerable to temptation, we are in tremendous danger. And as followers of Jesus, We are never beyond temptation. We are never beyond sin. And one of the most sobering things for me as a pastor in 2020 
is looking back over the last five years, looking back in this year and seeing story after story of people who I had read, people who I had watched, people whose, whose lives and ministries had impacted me, who I see stumbling and falling into temptation and into sin. People who maybe thought that they were beyond that and they realized in the worst way that they weren't. We're coming out of an incredibly difficult election season. We're not out of it yet. Um, but one of the temptations of, of this year and this election season has been to kind of draw a line in the sand. Where there's us and there's them. There's us good people and those bad people. Where we think that the line that separates the good from the bad, the, the good from the evil, runs between us and them. And years ago, I, I stumbled on the story of a man named Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Very hard last name to pronounce. He's Russian. And after World War II, Solzhenitsyn was imprisoned in the Gulag as part of the transformation of the Soviet Union post-World War II. And his writings about his experience in the Gulag are one of the reasons the world even discovered about the horrific things that were being done there. And you would think that Solzhenitsyn would be somebody who became tremendously cynical about those people who were imprisoning him. You would think that he would be a person who would have a view of the world that was us and them, the imprisoned and the imprisoners. But here's what he said about that line. He said, the line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart and through all human hearts. Friends, it's not that there's a line between us and them. There's a line in us and them. And all of us are broken. None of us are good. All of us are sinful. All of us are capable of tremendous evil. That is why Jesus had to come. And prayer, if done the way that Jesus calls us to, it humbles us because we know the line is not there. The line's right here. Here's how Jesus concludes this section. He says, whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so that their fasting is obvious to people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. You've heard that phrase over and over again. But when you fast, put oil on your head, wash your face, so that your fasting isn't obvious to others, but to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. The third place we can stumble is that we can easily turn fasting into something where our audience is other people other than God. We can turn fasting into something where our audience is other people rather than God. You've heard in these 18 verses a similar pattern. When you give to the poor, when you pray, and now he says, when you fast. The expectation from Jesus for his audience, people who are his followers, who he will call part of his kingdom in a few verses and in the future, his expectation is that they would fast. 
Now, I know a lot of us at some point in our lives have given to the poor. Maybe we have a regular pattern of being generous. I know a lot of us have prayed this year, this week, but I think fewest of us have fasted. And Jesus, when he's talking about fasting here, he's primarily thinking about giving up food for a protracted period of time. He himself practiced this. It's recorded in Matthew chapter 4, where Jesus, uh, he, he fasts in the wilderness before he's tempted. And, and Jesus did that to increase his dependence on and his connection to his father. See, prayer, sorry, fasting is a sign of spiritual desperation and dependence. In my life, in the places where I fasted, many of you, when you fasted, something was going on when the stakes were high and you knew that if God was not involved, if God didn't move, the, the, the future did not look good. And so you fasted as a sign of your desperation. You fasted to increase your dependence on God. And by giving up food, you were turning to God to sustain you instead. And yet Jesus, what he's saying here is whether it's giving, whether it's praying, whether it's fasting, I want you to think about what's going on in your heart and not do your fasting or your praying, or your giving for other people. In that day, if you fasted, the religious leaders, they would, they would make it obvious. Oh my gosh, I'm fasting. Everybody can see I'm fasting. Jesus says, when you do that, you reveal that you're not doing fasting as a sign of desperation and dependence on me. You're doing fasting so other people will think you're holy. And you'll get your reward for that. They'll think you're holy. But I will know you're not. And so what Jesus is trying to say is not do this and do that. He's not saying, here's a bunch of new laws. He's going after their hearts. And this is where I just want to encourage you. Jesus came not to continue the way that we would look to do this, do that, and God will be pleased with you. Jesus came to completely change that understanding and that way. And there's many of us, we're either rule followers or we like being told, do this and do that. And we go, Jesus, just tell me what to do. Give me a new law. And Jesus is not concerned with that. We can see that because of what he does. A few weeks ago, we were in Matthew 5, where Jesus says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Well, just a few verses later today, we read these words. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. What? Did Jesus just say two different things? He said right here that I should let others see my light shine, but over here he said I should be careful not to See, if you're reading it in terms of a law, this will be contradictory. But if you're reading this as Jesus trying to get at and transform your heart, you will see that in this passage, if my heart is doing good works for the purposes of giving glory to God in heaven, everybody in the world can see it and it won't matter. But if I'm doing it so that people will think better of me, then I can't let anybody know what I'm doing because even one person can corrupt the whole thing. See, Jesus is not trying to give us a list of new laws. He's trying to shape our hearts in a way that laws cannot. He's trying to transform the depths of who we are. And when that changes, 
our actions will change. He's not trying to change us from the outside in. He is changing us from the inside out in a way that laws could not. We learn in the book of Romans that that, that the law would never make us holy. It just reveals our unholiness and our need for Jesus. And Jesus comes and does what the law could not. He fulfills the law. He dies as a sacrifice for our sins. And he transforms the way that we relate to him. He gives us this grand vision of who he has created us to be and now who he's enabling us to be while never letting us forget where we actually are and what we need to do next. And so I want to ask you a question today as we get ready to close. What has God been revealing about your heart this year? If that transformation first starts internal and then shows up external, what have you learned this year? What has God revealed about what's really going on in your heart? If I can be transparent for a moment, I've seen so many things in my heart this year that aren't yet what God wants it to be. I've I've discovered in my heart places where there's still insecurity. Where if I'm honest, I tell you that I'm still more concerned about the approval of people than I am the approval of God. And this year has shined a spotlight on that in painful ways. And God has done work there. God in my life has has shown me the places where I thought I was in control, (laughs) where I thought it was about me being in control. And where he's invited me, sometimes (laughs) kicking and screaming, to surrender. Where he's reminded me that I don't always (laughs) have the power to control circumstances, but I always have the power to surrender them to him. And then he's he's shown the places where I was depending on my own energy, my own strength, (laughs) my own limited energy, my own limited strength instead of his. And I'm still here. Not because I am so strong, but because his grace is so good and his strength has sustained me. Friends, living as a kingdom person means being in the clouds and being in the dirt. It means you never lose sight of who God has called you to be. And you never deny the reality of where you actually are. So today, what if you got really honest about where you are, while at the same time you continued to recognize who God has promised to make you to be. He, Jesus, promised this, that he who started a good work in you, he who started a good work in me, will carry it on to completion. And while we're between the dirt and the clouds, God is at work. And he's not finished with you. And he's not finished with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness, for your goodness, for not abandoning the project that is our transformation, sanctification, our growth. Jesus, if if we were the ones that this was dependent on, we would have given up on this project a long time ago. But you, Jesus, are way more committed to this than we are. And this is not dependent upon us. It's dependent on you. 
So we give you thanks for your grace that we didn't deserve. We give you thanks for your forgiveness that we didn't deserve. We give you thanks for your strength, your sustaining power to enable us to persevere through all the things that have been hard about this year. We give you thanks that you continue to to bring us together even in times where we're separated physically. And we give you thanks that while we were still sinners, you came and gave your life for us. May we never lose the sense of gratitude and thanksgiving that is appropriate for something like that. We praise you today, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks, you, know, Josh. You, you usually have some next steps for us, so can you... Uh... Yeah, uh, we're kind of going hardcore right out of the gate. And so the first next step um, is I would encourage you to sit down today with a pen and paper and confess your sins before God. I I think one of the things that that happens is that when we, as I said in the message, when we wait so long to confess, when that becomes just this occasional practice for us, uh, we, we lose sight of just how sinful we were. For Christ had to come, and we, we lose sight of just how vulnerable we are to temptation today. And so I just would encourage you to start with just a time of confession. You're not going to take a picture of this and post it on Facebook if when you're done you want to shred it or burn it or throw it in the trash underneath all your you know banana peels. Do that, but, but be honest before God and confess before him. And then number two, confession is always responded with forgiveness. And so once you're finished with your time of confession, open your Bible and read 1 John 1, 5 through 10. In that beginning of, of John's first epistle there, he talks about the, the promise of forgiveness. And in 1 John 1, 9, he says, if we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us, to purify us from all unrighteousness. And so there's a promise when we confess to God that he answers with forgiveness. And then number three, identify a time to fast later this month and follow the guidance uh, found in Matthew 6, 16 to 18 we covered today. So, so I just think that because a lot of us do giving, we do fast praying, but we don't always get on a fasting, set a time later this month to fast. And I wouldn't wait till the last weekend of the month or else you're going to miss out on some goodness, hopefully, uh, with whoever's there on the table. But, but spend some time fasting, not to show your holiness, but to deepen your desperation for and your dependence on God. Awesome. Well, talking about fasting, what would you say to the person who can't fast because of, let's say, medical reasons? First thing I would say is don't feel guilty. Um, you know, I, I, I would not recommend or urge you to do something that would be medically unsafe. Um, but, you know, fasting isn't the uh, food isn't the only thing we can fast from. Um, there's lots of places in our lives where something becomes a place where we're propping ourselves up on that thing other than God. And so, um, you know, we've, I've learned over the years, just the power of fasting from things like that. For me, at times it's been, um, my relationship with my phone or social media at times it's been, um, just noise in my life when it comes to having something going all the time. Other times in my life, it's, it's been a, a hobby um, uh, or, or some, some other practice. And so whatever it is that you think um, might be drawing your focus away and your dependence away from God for a season, set an amount of time that you're going to withhold that, you're going to abstain from that. And when you're tempted to grab that again, whatever that thing is, turn 
to Christ in prayer, reading scripture. And so the purpose isn't, hey, it's got to be fasting from food. It's about food. It isn't about food. It's about desperation for and dependence on God. And so whatever it is that by giving that up, that can grow, you know, go down that path. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you for that. Another question that came in, we seem to live in a polarized political culture where it's always us versus them. Amen to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, in these in these uh, days following the election, how would you recommend that we apply this sermon in this context? Yeah, I mean, uh, so I, I think it means we need to be people who are generous, people who are prayerful, and people who are dependent on God. And I think what that looks like is coming close to the people we might want to step away from. I read a study this week that said that 80% of Americans have no close relationships with people who differ in their political views. And I just think that we have become insulated where the people that we see online or that we see in person are people who all agree with us. And um, we covered James earlier this year. And in the book of James, verse uh, 19, it says, everybody should be quick to listen slow to speak and slow to become angry. And so I think one way that we can apply this message is by coming together in ways where we listen to people and hear from them. It doesn't mean that everybody's right on all these things, but it does mean that I'm going to try to hear you, to hear your heart and try to understand with more love and empathy. Uh, I think it's also recognizing that many of us have been really isolated this year. We've had this conversation, Josh, about a bit about ministry and people being isolated and people being lonely. And when that happens, sometimes we end up getting a little bit more punchy with each other. You know, uh, it becomes easier to attack people online. And so, you know, maybe it's coming to worship again in person. Maybe it's looking for ways to be with your community group or be with people so that you're not so isolated. Because I know for me, when I get isolated, you know, I get into a bad place. And so I think it's coming together you know, with people who are different from us and really seeking to understand um, before we, you know, seek to be understood, you know, coming together in person, uniting together, and then practicing, hey, I'm going to be generous, even if I don't feel like it. I'm going to pray for you. I don't, know, I don't know about you, Josh, but I've never prayed for somebody and been able to hold on to bitterness in my heart. And then I'm going to fast and say, God, I, I want you to move. I want to be dependent on you. I'm desperate for you to show up in this situation. So I think these three practices really kind of guide us through how we can we can follow Jesus in this season. Yeah, that's all really good stuff. Appreciate that. Um, going back to the message a little bit, you talked about intent and how it matters and uh, just the power of, of, of all of that. So how do I know for sure that, um, what my intent is and if it's corrupted or not? Um, well, I think we need to assume that sin is real. It's still at work in our lives. We're going to be in a battle with it until, we, until Christ returns or we, we pass away. And so what that means is that we need to recognize that there's probably some place where we're struggling with our intent. The other thing is that in 1 Corinthians 13, the passage is very well known for the love stuff. But near the end, Paul says something that's really powerful. He says, we see now through a glass dimly, but one day we'll see face to face. None of us can perfectly see ourselves. We're like trying to look at ourselves through a mirror that's foggy. And so what that means is that I have to kind of humbly hold the way I see myself ask God to reveal more to me and then turn to the people around me to reveal more to me. And so, you know, when something goes wrong and I flare up for no reason, don't just move on go, God, why, why did I do that? You know, something good happens and I just feel puffed up. God, you know, should I be puffed up or should I be grateful and and praising you? Um, And for me, because I see through a glass dimly, I have people in my life who I will invite 
to say, hey, if you see something, say something. Um, or, hey, this is what you did. Do you see something going off in me? Do you see me, you know, kind of getting off course over the years? What have you noticed? Um, and, and you don't do that on social media. You don't ask people who are distant from you, who aren't committed to your best to comment. But people who are close to you, your spouse, close friends, you know, hey, w- what do you see? And between asking God to speak, inviting them to speak, and holding humbly that I never see myself, you know, purely, and my motives are never this side of heaven going to be completely pure. I think we can make progress um, in understanding where our where our intent is getting off course. So, yeah, that's all really good stuff. Easier said than done. Oh, oh, uh, <laughs> just because I'm saying this stuff and teaching this stuff does not mean that I've mastered it. And yeah, that's the clouds that, and the dirt. You know, we mm-hmm. hold up the picture. This is where God's calling us to be, and this is where we are. And we don't get discouraged because He's going to take us the distance. Yeah. Amen to that. Well, uh, thank you guys so much for submitting your questions. Um, Scott, is there anything that you want to end with? Yeah. I want to end with the disciples prayer as we call it. I I think for some of us, uh, that prayer has become kind of, um, empty, uh, if I can be honest because of overuse, but I hope that today through this message and God speaking through my humble, uh, imperfect words that, uh, you know, the God, you know, has awakened some new understanding there. And I just want to invite us together. Hopefully we'll be with some of you next week uh, at uh, Mile High Middle School. But I just want to invite you to pray the Lord's Prayer with us. If you know it by heart, you can recite it. If you don't, you can just repeat it after me. I'll move slow enough for you to, to say these words. And hopefully they're heartfelt. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thanks for being with us today. Thanks, Josh. Yeah, thank you. We hope to see you guys next week at Mile High. 9 a.m. or 10.30 online. Yep. Have a good week.